I knew I had two options in life. You know, I'd, I'd used up my use, use drugs to make things better option. And so the last two options were die or get sober. Welcome to the Depression Files, where we talk about everything related to mental health. From depression and other mental illnesses, to medication, to suicide awareness and prevention, to our current mental health system, and of course, to the stigma that surrounds mental illnesses. We educate those who may know little about mental illnesses while giving hope to those who may be suffering. I'm your host, Al Levin, and I want to thank you for tuning in. Let's get started. All right. Hey, I want to welcome John Solomon to the show. John um, is a lead singer and songwriter for a band. Did I get that right, John? Yeah, that's kind of how I go. Songwriter, lead singer. Awesome. Cool. So welcome. Thank you so much for uh, joining me on uh, The Depression Files. Yeah, thanks for having me. So can you tell us a bit about yourself and maybe about your band a bit? Sure. Uh, You know, I the band is Communist Daughter. Uh, We're pretty much based out of the Twin Cities. Um, I actually live in California now, uh, but... Uh, I was in the Twin Cities for about 15 years, probably, and started the band uh, uh, about, I don't know, eight years ago, seven years ago? What is the year? It's 2018, <laughs> eight, eight years ago, nine years ago. Let's not do the math on that. I don't want to know. <laughs> Time flies. <laughs> yeah, it's, I'm still 20 in my head. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, so I started this band, and um, I had been in bands before. I was in a band called Friends Like These that did pretty well. Um, but it kind of flamed out because I was having some pretty bad drug issues and, uh, I ended up in jail for a bit and that's kind of how friends like these ended. Cause I couldn't make a bunch of shows cause I was in jail. You couldn't perform uh, while in jail. Huh. Yeah, no, it was Imagine great. There, that. Was a, <laughs> there was a, while I was in jail, there was a big old, uh, like article in the paper where my picture was like right there and it was like this weekend and i was like yeah no i'm not gonna make it (laughs) like somebody should have told the press before they put this in but yeah it was interesting uh so i did that and you know i i took off after i got out of jail i kind of i tried to run away from the issue and uh that was here in the twin cities that you were in jail yeah yeah i was in and uh so then I moved, I was going to move to California then, but I didn't make it that far because I was still an addict. I got about 30 minutes outside of town and I was like, nah, this is, seems good. This is far enough. So I lived in a small town in Wisconsin, like just across the border for, I don't know, like four years or so. And, uh, that's where I started communist daughter. I, I just got guys from the twin cities to come down and I was having a really rough go of things. Uh, and so writing a lot of songs about, uh, that. And, uh, it seemed to, I don't know, like people seemed to like the music. It was, it was weird to be writing. I wrote this album called soundtrack to the end, which was kind of what I thought would be the last music I wrote. I kind of pictured myself going out on that. Um, you know, I, I, I think a lot of my friends, a lot of my family thought I was probably going to die, uh, wow. rightly so. Yeah, I was pretty, 
it's pretty bad, I, you know, with the drugs along with depression and and then some other things that we found out later. Um, once I got into treatment after Soundtrack to the End came out, uh, and that did really well. And uh, it started to take off to the point where, you know, we, we should have been touring. We tried to tour, but um, on the first attempt at touring, I just had meltdowns and I was trying to take drugs on planes and I mean, it was just a mess. Um, and you're talking hardcore drugs. It sounds like, yeah, I was, I was a meth addict. And okay. so I was using a lot of meth and if I couldn't get that, then Coke and, and your, uh, pills, your band, your and, band members knew that. Um, some of them did. Uh, I think they all did. I mean, I was, I was public about it to a couple of them. Right. Um, but, you know, I thought I was hiding it from the other guys. and uh-huh. But it, pretty much everyone knew, and they were just hoping that I could make it to the other side. Because for them, you know, it was like everything was, you know, being successful for them, too. It was, you know, what were they going to do? Um, but, I, you know, like w- when things started to really – that's I, I met Molly, my wife, and she was uh, in the band with me. We weren't, we weren't together at the time. Okay. And, um, one of the reasons she said was she was never going to be with a drug addict. And, and that's kind of when I was like, Oh no, I'm, I'm good. I, I'm not a drug addict. And you know, after six months of like, Oh, I'll just stop. And that not working. Right. Finally, you know, I flamed out with the band pretty hard. You know, I like, I, I fired them all from the back of the van once when we were on tour. And like, I sent a text message to all of them while I was sleeping in the back. I was like, <laughs> It's like we're done as soon as we get back you guys are all done wow like yeah they were they pulled over and dropped me off in somewhere like far far away from where we were going kicked so, you into a ditch yeah basically <laughs> i think it was like uh me having a meltdown and i'm like i'm getting out and they were yeah. like okay <laughs> and that was why but, you were strung out on drugs as well yeah that was pretty rough that's right. and you know i got into treatment when i finally got into treatment you know, I make there's so many there's like so many layers to how you end up making that decision that, you know, some of it was like, yeah, the band had had enough of me. But a lot of it was I had enough of it myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I got into treatment and they diagnosed me with bipolar one disorder, which is that's that's the bipolar that goes way up and way down. Right. Right. Um some and really, it, really serious manias, right? From what I hear, yeah, bipolar one. Yeah, and you know, it, it manifests in, in different ways with people. But for me, mine was aggression. I, I would get really, really aggressive and really, you know, it was, it, you know, like I became kind of a violent person, and. Um, and then, you know, me trying to medicate my lows with methamphetamine didn't really help anybody. Um, so, you know, I was drinking heavily and, and doing meth. And But once I, you know, once I got clean, getting clean from meth takes a long time. So Usually, when, when you went in for treatment, sorry to interrupt you, but when you went in yeah, for no. treatment, was it strictly because of drug treatment and then they realized... Well, I think you have a mental health uh, issue as well with bipolar disorder. Or did you know that that you were having some mental health issues? Yeah. Well, I mean, I 
that's the thing about like the creative fields where, you know, for some reason, mental health issues are kind of romanticized in some ways. And so I didn't necessarily ever believe that I had serious mental health issues. I just thought it was like part of my artistic process Right. was, was to be a, you know, a difficult human being. Uh-huh. Um, but you know, uh, I, I, I knew that I'd, I'd had bouts of depression. I knew that, I mean, that's, it was hard not to know that I was struggling with that at times. Um, but when I went into drug treatment, I, I was going just for drugs. Right. And I mean, you know, I, I, when I went in, I was having, I mean, by that point I was kind of, I was psychotic in places. And I mean, I was having real weird things where I, you know, some of it was the drugs, some of it was the mania. I was thinking like I could read people's thoughts and yeah, it was weird things. I was having hallucinations and, um, can you describe some of those hallucinations and delusions? I know you just said like you felt like you could read people's thoughts. What else was going on for you? And how long would a delusional phase last? Um, well, I went back and forth pretty quickly um, because I was using drugs to self-medicate. So, you know, if I was feeling wild, which I mean, that's the way that I saw it originally was like, oh, I get this. I get this wild feeling. It's like it's hard to describe other than like that feeling, that exciting feeling you get before, like, say you're going to go out to your, like, you're going to have like new year's Eve or, you know, like one of those super exciting nights, you know, it's like, Oh, this is going to be awesome. It's like, I would get, yeah, I would start to get that feeling. And I knew like, Oh, here it comes. Like things are going to get wild. And I would do, crazy things and you know through that i would drink heavily you know because i i was getting so wild uh which of course drinking to calm down wildness is (laughs) right not not the best medicine not the best strategy so when you you could actually feel your mania coming on and you'd get hyped up and was that a good feeling like you were like yeah, this is going to be awesome. Here it comes. Or were you worried or how would you describe that? I've heard some people say like, I didn't even want to take my medicine when I was on a mania because it actually felt so good, particularly after experiencing such lows. So what was it like knowing a mania was just on the forefront? Well, I didn't have any terminology for it at the time. So I, I was undiagnosed. So to me, it, it didn't, I didn't know I was going up or I was, you know, coming down or I didn't know that there, I should have been on medicine or anything. So right. to me, I just knew that things were going to get crazy. And in a way, like the excitement, the, the up feeling was like, things are going to get crazy. It's going to be awesome. Right. Right. But it would always get, you know, as it went on through the years, things would get crazy enough that it was really crazy. Like, you know, like, Looking back, you know, after a few weeks of that and I would be coming down, it would just be like, uh, it, it's hard to, I was trying to, I was trying to figure out a way to, cause I've, I've had to make a lot of amends in my life. And, uh, one of those people was, I was married, um, before I met my wife now, Molly, I met her in the band, but I was married before her, um, to this great girl. She's awesome. She just moved back to the twin cities great person 
but uh because we didn't know i was bipolar um i was just a terrible human being at times you know and and i would do these things that looking back now or even looking back after i did them it'd be like i don't even understand why i would do that it, like it me you know i cheated on her you know and i was like there was no that just didn't seem like a that was never a part of my personality of a person that could do that but yet i did and you know leading up to those weeks of me being crazy like i'd spend thousands of dollars i'd you know it it became more commonplace like in my late twenties, and was uh, the was the spending mostly booze and drugs, or were there other things you were going on spending? Oh no, yeah, I was spending sprees like crazy. I'd you know, I'd go out to dinner and spend three hundred dollars by myself at dinner, which is, you know, a I don't even know how. <laughs> yeah, I don't even. <laughs> I mean, I'd I'd sit down to a sushi restaurant and stay there for four hours, you know, pretending I was like this high roller. When, <laughs> right. When it's like, you, you know, I, I couldn't make rent that month, but here I am like dropping a couple hundred, you know. And, I, and it, the way you described it was like a few weeks. Like, were you literally in a mania for a, a few weeks straight? And, and did it involve much sleep or were you, were um, you up well, most nights? Yeah, I would, you know, it's it's been a long time. And so my understanding of it was before I started using meth, um, regularly. And I was just drinking that I was drinking mostly to, because the manias were starting and, um, and you know, I was drink through the lows too, because my lows were heavy anxiety stuff too. So, um, when I was up, I was, I, I would be up for a couple weeks. I wouldn't, I would still sleep because I would drink myself into passing out at like three in the morning or so. Right. Um, but I would stay up, you know, well past my wife would go to bed. Um, uh, and I would just stay up doing nothing for hours until I would drink, you know, drink a bottle of wine and a half or something. And until I fell asleep and then I'd, you know, the wildness would stay for a while and it, it got progressively worse where it, it started as like, John's just a fun guy. You know, when it's, when John wants to party, he parties. And then it was like, Oh, John really likes to party. And then it started to be like really, really bad decisions. Like, uh, you know, I'd go out and I'd pick up homeless people to drink all night with, you know, and, and then I'd sneak in to try and lay down right before my wife would have to get up for work and you know and, th and then i'd have these moments where it's like what i don't even i mean that doesn't even sound fun that doesn't even right, <laughs> i don't know anybody right. who would be like ah i'm gonna everybody get in my car we're just gonna have a good old time tonight <laughs> ironically uh, enough i don't think you're the first one i've had on this show that talked about <laughs> picking up homeless people to party with yeah, that's that's awesome <laughs> i'm glad that i'm not the only one out there maybe we partied together i don't know <laughs> Wow. Yeah. So, um, and, and then you mentioned some anger too. So it sounds like it just kind of snowballed. Yeah. I mean, it got the anger stuff really started to come out. Um, when it like with bipolar, the, the longer you go untreated, the more cycles you go through, the bigger the cycles become and the wilder they get. Right. And so towards my late 
20s when I was like just hitting 30. That's when, I mean, I was, uh, yeah, I was, you know, like firing the whole band and, you know, starting fights. I had, I fought with my brother who's, he was like my best friend. It changed our relationship forever, even though, you know, we're still, you know, uh, we're not close anymore, even though I would say we're, you know, like we're, he's still my brother, you know, and it's not like, it's not like we dislike each other. We like each other actually. And we, you know, we still talk and it's just something happened when I punched him, you know, where it was like, that was a line that nobody should have seen coming or, I mean, it was just way over the line for anything. Well, I I hope he's come to a point where he's been able to forgive you for that and realize that it was a mental illness. Right. I, I think so. And you know, like, I mean, he was great. When I checked into treatment, he sent me a box, like a, a whole box of books, like cool. like a moving a moving box full of books. Right, and I think right. I think he knew that I was going to be in there for a while. Number one, <laughs> <It sounds> like <laughs> it. Yeah. he was like, "Yeah." Uh, I opened up the box and I'm like, "Yeah, that's it's pretty optimistic to think that I'm going to be here to read all these." But yeah, yeah. And the th- the funny thing is when you when you um recover from like heavy meth use you go through a period of like real confusion and and i kind of lost the ability to read for a little bit where i just i mean i i couldn't remember my phone number i i couldn't you know like i couldn't put together sentences i'd try to read and i would you know just be working on one sentence forever so i had this whole box of books that i couldn't read for A long time. So maybe that was actually his way of getting a little retribution from being <laughs> slugged by you. <laughs> yeah. It's just, that's a, that's a very Midwestern way of thinking of things. Wow. Yeah. So, I, I mean, those were the things, the anger came out like, yeah, I mean, that's how I ended up in jail was a lot of the anger issues. And, um, I mean, I, I ended up going to jail for disorderly conduct, but it was for like kicking in doors and throwing things. And I mean, just craziness by that, by that time, I, my wife at the time, my ex-wife had, had left me rightfully so. And, uh, and so I was able to really kind of turn into a person, you know, I, I, I started hanging out with people that that wouldn't judge me for the way that I was because, you know, that was more of the norm of behavior then. And, uh, that's when I, you know, I went to jail and then I moved. How long were you in jail for? Uh, I was in jail for like three weeks. It wasn't much, you know, it was like three weeks. And then I went on paper for a year. Um, so it was like, it's one of those things where when I got arrested, I, I had a lot of drugs on me and uh, I stuffed them uh, in the seat when they yanked me out of my car. And my neighbor, who had nothing to do with that lifestyle at all, um, but he knew me from before I started to have trouble. Um, as soon as the cops pulled me out and they like were putting me in the car around the front of the house – he had jumped in my car and drove it down the street, locked it and took the keys. And so when the, yeah, when the cops came back, they were like, who moved this car? Like who's got the keys to the car? They were going to search the car, but 
you know, it was already locked up and they would have to break into the car to search it. And so they just towed it. And that kind of saved me probably years in jail. Wow. Um, yeah, it's it's a weird thing to think about. Like, I mean, I had enough drugs that I could have gone to jail for probably 10 years. Um, I don't know if they would. It was my first time. But you hear about stuff like that all the time. Yeah. And, uh, and so that's that was kind of the wake-up call for me where I was like – that was my first wake-up call, I should say, where – I was like, I'm going to move and that'll make everything better because I'll get away from all of this, which I didn't at all. And it just started a cycle again uh, where I was off. I stopped using meth for a while and I kind of started to get things going in my life where I started to use my mania again for. Uh, I don't know, like one of the things my wife now, Molly, um, when she tells people about being with me because she was with me for times when I, you know, go into the manias and, and it's, I, yeah, I'm, I get really charismatic. Um, cause, just cause I get really excited and I get really, uh, energetic and I can start to like really win people over to whatever cause that I have at the moment, you know? And, uh, and I started a restaurant kind of all based on mania which was <laughs> yeah wow yeah it was it was a really weird things to look back on in life and be like hey I, I don't know why anybody would give me money or or why i would even do that because uh i mean i love cooking but uh did you have yeah, any I, restaurant experience other than enjoying cooking uh no not really i had a friend who had restaurant experience who i was drinking with all the time um and he was like this older guy that um uh, like he, he was supposed to be sober but he had fallen off the wagon and so we were just drinking constantly all day and we would just talk about restaurants and so then i was like i'm i'm gonna start one and i got you know i got like ten thousand dollars in a loan and then i got another person to give me twenty thousand and that got me i used all that like oh these people are investing and you know i got all this money and spent about half of it on you know drugs and spending sprees and you know idiotic things but then i ran a restaurant i had a restaurant for probably three years in the twin um, cities yeah, it was it was actually in Prescott, Wisconsin. Oh, right, this. right. That was yeah. the Wisconsin time. Yeah, cool. And and it was a thing where it was like I really was like I was bouncing from mania to mania. You know, I I I get a bunch of people to invest a bunch of money, and and then I would go into these depressions that uh, where I was like uh, I would almost do worse things when I was depressed because that's when I started doing coke and meth to try and get myself up going again. So you were totally, it sounds like trying really trying to regulate yourself in your manias and in your depressive states with the hardcore drugs and the drinking. Yeah. And you know, I think that's, um, I mean, it's the only way an addict can think about things is like, uh, making a horrible decision worse. But, uh, it, it was really like, I, 
even though I, I didn't know that those feelings that I was having were so far outside the norm. I mean, I knew that they weren't right. And I knew that I was living a lifestyle that wasn't like the people around me. I knew that, but th- because of the mania and because of the things where I was like, suddenly I'm, I'm really energetic and I'm getting things done. And I started a restaurant and people are giving me money and, you know, everybody finds me attractive and, you know, like those, those feelings that you get, uh, I was convincing myself that like, Oh, it's just, you know, I'm just this artist kind of guy. Um, but then I would go into those, those depressions that were like, you know, when everything would kind of feel crushing, it would feel like it was all, I would realize everything that I had, I had, you know, stepped into and uh that's yeah i i would use cocaine to try and get myself up to be okay for the day and then cocaine's too expensive so i would switch over back to meth and did that and that's i was writing that's where and i wrote that first record was soundtrack to the end was i wrote it overnight um and it was all about like how how dark and depressed i was um, and, and how drugs were kind of keeping me going. Uh, can, can you and, describe what, uh, what your depression was like? What kind of symptoms did you experience through the depression? Um, it, I think my depression and I still, you know, I still, even though I'm medicated, I, I can still go in little waves of things. Um, it mostly manifests itself with like, overwhelming anxiety about everything. Um, and a lot of it is like, uh, just, I mean, anxiety that of like living, you know, like, uh, that I wouldn't be able, like there was no, there was no way of thinking about living that wasn't horrible. Um, that wasn't like just a terrible thought of like, how in the world could I handle any of this? Um, and you know, uh, I would drink a lot because if I could get two or three drinks in me, it would numb enough of that where then at least I wasn't having the, the physical anxiety, but then I just uh, like hide from everybody. I would stay as far away from everybody as I possibly could. So a lot of isolation. Yeah, definitely. Uh And then, you know, and that's, I think, because I would get myself into these situations where it's like, you started a restaurant, you can't, there's no isolating now, you know, like, uh, so then I, I went out and I, I remember when I made the decision to like, there's, I've got to do something. And, uh, and so, you know, the options on the table are pretty, pretty limited. It was like kill myself, get sober or, you know, do something so that I can manage through these and do something would be like do Coke or meth to get me going through this. And, you know, so I did, I started using Coke and meth again and meth like crazy. And I did that for about three years. I was using meth, um, every day. Uh, and then, so going into treatment in 2010, 
So I've been sober for seven years. Congratulations. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, when they, like when they finally, uh, diagnosed me with, it was, it actually, it was like within the first, it was like the first meeting I had with the psychiatrist because I, he, he was like, do you mind if we call your, your mom who was, who helped me get into treatment? And he's like, do you mind if we call her and, and just talk about your family history? And, uh, I was like, ah, yeah, I don't care. And, and so he called her and he was like, is there any, you know, is there any, uh, history of mental illness in the family? And my mom just like right off the bat, like rattled off five uncles that, had, wow. you know, either committed suicide or, or, you know, were bipolar. I had an aunt who, you know, and it was like all these things that I knew, but it didn't register that that was like a heritable thing. It was like, oh yeah, I remember crazy Aunt Thelma and oh no, I never met that uncle because he killed himself and oh yeah, that that guy is the... And so... Well, and I would imagine when you're you're in the midst of it too, it's probably pretty easy to have some denial. Like, oh yeah, that was my crazy aunt who was sick. Yeah, exactly. And you know, the thing is like what I understood as my crazy aunt was she went so far without um, getting treatment that when she was going through her cycles, she would go into a mania and she would be like directing traffic naked or, you know, goodness. Yeah. In a small town in Iowa. And, (laughs) and so that's what I understood. And, and to me, as, as my mental illness progressed, you know, it doesn't start there. It, it started with, oh, he's wild and he's, you know, going right, to party right. all night. or And then it turned into like, oh, I'm staying up all night because I love the show West Wing. And I would stay up every night for weeks on end. I don't remember how long I would stay up until like, I think because this is before streaming, you know. Right, right. <laughs> you could watch on cable from 2 a.m. to like 5 a.m. They were playing West Wing, the West Wing shows. And I would be like, I'd be like, no, I'm just a huge fan of the West Wing. And I would just stay up like all night and I would drink and watch the West Wing and be like, yeah, no, this is just because I'm a big fan of that. And then, you know, it would turn into me staying out with homeless people. And, right, right. I, you know, wow. so it didn't. Yeah. So I didn't. I didn't associate my illness or the way that I acted with the way that my aunt acted or, and then, you know, like the, the people that committed suicide in my family, it's like, you don't, I didn't associate that with, um, cause I was younger. I didn't associate that with like, Oh, mental illness causes suicide. Right. So it's like not mental illness. You know, I, it was, it was interesting where the doctor, he was just like, Oh, okay, yeah, we got it. And was like, All right, so here's what you have. And I was like, wow. Oh, that's it then. Yeah. And so they, they got And me that on was medicine. basically after interviewing you and speaking to your mom, right? Yeah. And and yeah. actually I gotta say, I love the fact that he called your mom. Um I may have mentioned this on the show before, but like I went into a partial hospitalization program and I was so thankful I brought my wife because she could answer questions for me that 
I couldn't. And I mean, I was in the midst yeah. of a major depression. My cognition was messed up. My memory was messed up. And, and who knows if people are even going to be honest at an intake meeting like that, you know, when they're asking questions, are you self-medicating? Are you hearing voices? So I love, and, and I always said I was so thankful my wife came and I, that was my one recommendation to them that at an intake meeting, they should really invite a loved one if there is accessibility to such a person because I think it would be helpful. So I'm really I'm glad to hear that he reached out to your mom and got some more information from her. Yeah, you know, I um I think I really resisted the idea of 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 like, oh, my like my mom would know, you know, what's wrong with me or something. Mm -hmm. But uh knowing like looking back now like like what you said it's like there's no way that i even had the words for describing what it was that i was what was happening to me and and looking back you know i look back now and i and i still see things where i'm like oh yeah so that's this like you know the spending sprees it was just like you know when i found out that like spending sprees are, is a is a really common form or, or symptom that you know from bipolar is like oh yeah you go on spending sprees i was like i didn't know that that was a thing i thought that i was just really bad at money yeah and i, I just bought a restaurant because i enjoyed cooking <laughs> yeah. like i don't know i mean, I mean isn't that like you mean <laughs> i i i didn't it's not my fault that i spent ten thousand dollars in one day i mean i mean of course it's my fault but you know i it's it's interesting to look back on a lot of that stuff and right. and even even now like i i don't even think that like when they were asking me on my intake it's i had very specific hallucinations um towards the end um that i would wake up the next day and be like oh i'm like i'm i'd be glad that i didn't tell anybody about them cuz what i was so certain about the night before the next morning I would be like, Oh, that, that probably was a really crazy thing. And that, but sometimes I would tell people because I was just so certain that they were real things. Like, I mean, there was a, there was a, a night where I was convinced that a spider was living in my nose, um, which is a horrible thing to think about. Like it just, if you, if you suspend the, the fact that, that, would never happen. Right. Right. I, I mean, I was convinced that there was a spider that had somehow like taken up residence in my nose and was just there. And, and so I was going through, I was trying to break my nose, uh, in my bathroom by myself. I was trying to break my nose so I could get the spider out of my nose. And I remember like, like the next day people were like, Oh my God, what'd you do to your nose? It's like, uh, ah, uh, long nothing. story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, Oh, I fell down or, you know, wow. Wow. But those, you know, and, and looking back, it's like if a doctor had asked me, you know, even weeks later, it's like, you know, are you having any symptoms of, I probably wouldn't have said that because it, in my head, it you real. don't want to. Yeah. And you don't want to like, the the farther I got away from it, the less I believed that I actually had those moments, you know. Right. But I've thought a lot about them now, and it's funny when they come back to me, and I'm like, oh yeah, I thought that for a bit, and oh my god, I told somebody about that. Like, 
I don't know how people like were able to look at me and not call 911 or something, but I mean, I've, I've probably heard people say plenty of crazy things and just been like, yeah, I just want to back out of this room. Like, right. I don't know who this guy is, but were your, uh, hallucinations, were they any of them similar? Were you, I mean like this one, you were actually hurting yourself. It sounds like trying to break your nose. Were there other ones that put you in dangerous situations? Yeah. I mean, those are the ones that, um, I had a lot of hallucinations, about spiders that was like that was a really common hallucination of mine was um and i I mean i have really specific ones that were like spiders the size of my hand that were would like kind of crawl across my ceiling and hang out above me as i would lay in bed and then there'd be um there was a night where like you know, kind of arachnophobia style, like thousands of spiders, you know, crawling across walls. And and were these just your thoughts or these were also visual hallucinations where you were literally no, yeah, seeing them? Those were the visual ones. Right, I mean, right. And it, but it would act like, like I was saying about the one in my nose where it's like the next day I could look back and be like, oh, that wasn't really what happened. You know, or I could like try not to think about it, you know, like, eh, I didn't really, if I didn't tell anybody about it, then it didn't really happen. Right, right. You know, but, you know, definitely the one that was living in my nose or, I mean, there was one I had in a van and this is well before I started using meth. I had one where it was like, you know, just, I spent, I must've spent like two hours staring at this spider that was the size of my hand. And, uh, you know, if you don't, since I didn't talk about it that much, it just kind of faded into like, uh, it wasn't something I brought up much, you know? Uh, and then I started to have, I had delusions of like, uh, thinking when I was in my manias, I'd have these delusions that I could think faster than anybody. Like I could, and it was like to the point where I could, I thought that I knew what everybody was thinking because I could think what they were thinking faster than they could, which sounds very confusing, but (laughs) it would. And I remember having this conversation with my ex-wife's younger sister where uh, I was like, no, I totally know what you're thinking right now. And, and I remember like the look that she was giving me, like, like I feel really uncomfortable with this person. (laughs) And it's like, I know that you feel really uncomfortable right now. <laughs> right, but, right. So let me bring you back to the doctor. So the doctor tells you pretty quickly, like, this is what you have. It's bipolar one. And what was that? Rea- what kind of reaction did you have to that? Was it um, like, oh, that answers a lot of questions? Or were you like, what the, what are you talking about? I think at that point, when I had checked into treatment, I went to Hazelden up in uh, Center City. Yeah. Uh, and so when I had checked in, I was just, I was so tired of my life up into that point. I, and I remember the moment when I, when I, you know, you say you hit rock bottom and the moment that I called for help 
uh, it was the first time in my life where I felt like this weight lifted off my shoulder where I was like, I knew I had two options in life. You know, I had used up my use, use drugs to make things better option. And so the last two options were die or get sober. And, and I knew I was like, well, if getting sober sucks, I still have that last option. And, and so when I called Hazelden and I checked in there and I remember going to my first like intake and I was like, look, I'll do whatever you say. Like, I, I mean, I don't have to like it. I won't, you know, who knows if I'll believe what you say, but I'll do it because the other option is I'm going to die. So if this sucks and it doesn't work, it's no skin off my back because I know what my other option is. And, and so when he was like, well, you've got bipolar one disorder, so we're going to get you on medicine. It's going to make things easier. At that, it was like, at that point I was like, I hope he's right because being sober was terrible. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't like this magical thing where it was like, Oh my God, you know, the drugs were my whole problem everything's better. I mean, it was still so early in getting sober, but so at that point, the thought that maybe there was medicine that would make things not seem like, uh, I, I remember feeling that my life was cursed. Um, I was just living this life that was cursed where every day was a little bit worse than the day before. And so if you look back years, it's like, wow, how did I end up here? And it's like, well, because every day is a little bit worse than the one before. But the thought that like maybe there's medicine where it's life isn't like that, then it's like, I'll try it, whatever. I mean, well, it I sounds like that. that actually was a huge piece of giving you some hope, some new yeah. hope. Like maybe this will help me get on the right direction. Um, and you know it's funny because it's like it's not necessarily that i felt the hope then i just at that point i was just like whatever you know like do it do whatever you think you know in your in your weird medical world that you think whatever you want to call i've got and you're going to give me something do it and let's see if it works and and it wasn't until weeks later because the medicine they put me on um they had to titrate it up. So they had to give me a, like a, a dose that wouldn't do anything first. And they had to, so I was there in treatment for a long time before even the medication started working. And I remember the moment that I first felt like, Oh my God, something's different. And this is, this is like game changing. And, and that's when I, yeah, like that thought from then on, I was like, I'm never going to not take my medicine. I'm never, you know, whatever it's going to cost me, even if it costs me my music career or everything that I had, you know, thought I wanted in my life. It was, it was like, I'll trade it all because that life that like the way that I, I had to live is like, uh, I kind of feel like. I'd done everything that I could that way. And so, you know, I, I have this saying with my manager when he is pointing out things when I'm doing, like sometimes he gets on my case because I'm, I can be kind of a dork. Uh, I just don't care about what's cool as much anymore. <laughs> right. And, and I'm like, look, man, I was in basements like doing, it was like, I don't need to be a disaffected 
like cool kid. You know, I, I've done everything there possibly was. And so much of being cool, like that indie cool or whatever is like pretending you you're disaffected and you, you know, it's like, I've, I've been as disaffected as you can be. It's like, I'm, I don't, I don't care now. Like, uh, I'm going to be earnest. I'm going to like, I'm going to do things that make me happy. And, uh, cool is it's cool does. And like, I don't, I mean, I just, after going through everything that I went through in my life, I don't think it matters as much when I, when I see, people caring about like how they look or how their image is. Um, it's just funny to me now because it's like, maybe that's, maybe that's the medicine I take where it's like, I don't care as much about that stuff. I don't know what my medicine necessarily did for me other than made me happier as a person. Right. Um, and I'm okay with that where my wife, my wife struggles with depression and, um, you know, her depression is, is different and she has trouble with the medication that she takes because she's like, I can't, she doesn't get the emotional, um, spectrum that she needs, that she feels like she wants right, when, right. when she's on medication. So she goes, you know, and with doctor's help, she goes on and off of it, off of it, you know? Um, but for me, I'm like, no, nah, I'm good. I, I, I've had all the emotions I need to like, I'd like to be normal, you know, average Joe for a while. That well, would it be seems like a it seems like a really cool transformation that you went through essentially, right? Like you've seen what it meant to be cool, at least by one definition, <laughs> yeah. right? And, yeah. and it really wasn't the life you liked. It really wasn't, wasn't well, what and you needed. You know, and that's the thing that like I, I talked with my wife about like we we're talking about maybe starting a family and and one of the things you know, you talk about, especially having mental illness and, and especially bipolar is such a heritable illness. I'm like, you know, there's a good chance that we could have a kid who could have this illness and what would that mean? And is that something that is worth like having children, you know, I'd be so worried to pass this on, but there's also this part of me that's like, Oh, like I've, as a parent, I've done everything that you could possibly like, I don't need to like sit on a, a high horse to tell people like, you shouldn't do that. It's like, I can say, no, you shouldn't do that because I did that. Yeah, and that exactly. was terrible. And, and I think that, uh, you know, you have been through so much that if you brought a kid into this world, you would have so much to teach that kid that, that they would be healthy. You know, I mean, you've, you're learning to manage your bipolar disorder and to be really happy doing it. And you've changed some of your values and things along the yeah. way. And, and I think those are the things that, you know, you look back on and, and you'd be able to share with kids. Well, and you know, you talked about your wife being there when you went, when you checked into uh, yeah. the hospital and, and something that I learned that Molly and I have learned because of her, you know, her struggles with depression and my, you know, issue with bipolar, um, is we've we've learned to have that language now that you know we know how to talk to each other to talk about mental illness and and uh, and that's something that I think that like uh, having those people in your life where you can uh, have these conversations and 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 have positive conversations about things that can be negative it's 
it's definitely something that I feel like we have we have the language now yeah. or we have the support system where we could deal with issues, you know. Or, oh, it's or huge. Teach. It's huge. And and you can do that without having any kind of shame, right? I yeah. Mean, you can talk openly about the struggles. And does she uh, give you a heads up if she feels like you may be starting a mania or do you need, even need a heads up? It, it sounds kind of like you're pretty well aware of your own body sensation. Uh, um, well, you know, she, she still will give me a little pointer. I think a lot of times I don't, I don't notice it as much until she mentioned something and then I'm like, Oh yeah, that totally makes sense. That's exactly what's going on. Um, right. So that's a huge support too. And, yeah. and the fact that you don't take offense by her inquiring, like, hey, do you, could this be a mania coming on? Yeah. Well, and the, I mean, that's something that I've had to learn over time because one of the things towards the end, because of my mania, started to really take on aggression. Um, that's That was really hard because, you know, when you're really angry and then somebody's telling you, oh, you're just you know, you're just going through a mania and it's like, no, I'm really angry. Yeah, right, <laughs> and it's like, right. it's like, no, you're not. This isn't, you're not really, you shouldn't really be upset about this. And it's, you know, it, it took a while to get to a place where it's like, oh yeah, there's no reason for me to be upset about things, you know, and I can step back and finally be like, let go of a lot of it and realize like, oh, this is what I need to be aware of. Really do self care. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And that's, that's huge learning about yourself. Right. And, and obviously, you know, Molly's your wife and she's not gonna, she's not gonna ask you about a possibility of a a mania to piss you off or make you angry. She's concerned about you and wants to give you a heads up. So, but I do understand too, if you're kind of already in an angry place and somebody says, (laughs) it's like, no, (laughs) no, this time it's real. (laughs) Yeah. And it's funny, I still catch myself doing that, but it's more out of pouting than uh, <laughs> right. anything where it's like, it's like, I'm going to go to my room and still be angry. And then, you know, give me an hour or two to like realize, okay, I need to shift my thinking. And, right. you know, I should start going to more yoga, you know, this week because things are going to be rough. Yeah, 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 yeah. So do you, so you do still go through manias and depressions, um, even yeah. though you're medicated? Yeah, and I mean, um, it's not as I I went up. I had to adjust my medicine a few times, and I finally found one that's worked well for me for the past two years. Probably I haven't had any. Um, I haven't really felt any cycles other than like your natural. Great. You know. Cool. I mean, there there are moments where you know, I probably am not in a great. You know, like they'll like my wife will point out, like eh, maybe this is you know a mania thing that you're going through, and but I, you know, it's like handled now, or it's it's like a, I can cope with it uh, with like a lot of yoga and um, eating healthy. I mean, I have a real hard time when stress gets really bad. That actually, I should say, the last time I had um, some bad moments was when the the band was on tour. We were on tour for three months maybe and we all knew that it was going to be kind of hard on me and even knowing that it didn't it didn't stop the fact that like yeah i kind of i went off the rails a little bit there uh when you're not sleeping and your the stress is really high and you know i wasn't able to eat as healthy as i 
need to and I wasn't able to exercise regularly and yeah things started to kind of go off the rails there um but that was the last and that one that one was definitely tied to all the stress in my life if I can I've pulled back from touring a little bit for the last um I guess it was actually about a year was the last time that we were on tour for the last I just saw that post come up on my Facebook thing that was like one year ago, you were leaving on a three-month tour. Right. So how were you able to pull yourself together, or were you able to, during that three-month when you, you you described it as kind of falling off the rails? Yeah, it you know, it um, it was hard. It was really hard. And, and it, it didn't really start to hit until the last month, the last, probably the last few weeks of that was, I mean, it, I knew that it was hitting there, but it got really bad those last couple of weeks, and you know, I, I tried to, I started hitting AA meetings, you know, just cause it was something that w- was supportive of me. Yeah. And, um, uh, I spent, I tried to spend more time sleeping. It was, it was pretty interesting. My band, um, it, it probably would have, I probably was grumpy and mad about it, but they, they were like secretly going out of their way, trying to get, get me more sleep. Um, like they're like i remember wondering why like when we fight about hotel rooms you know because you know usually we can't afford three and i will get two and so you know we'll double up somebody and but i was like man why did they give me you know like why is everyone being so good about like me getting sleep tonight like i could go to bed early and you know everybody's being quiet And, and then i heard on the other side of the door one of them was like you know, like, oh, everybody be quiet. John really needs to get his sleep tonight. <laughs> That's you know, awesome. Like, That's cool <laughs> yeah. that they were really looking out so much for you. Yeah. It's probably You're like, wait I'm... a minute. How come they aren't <laughs> fighting over this single room? What's yeah. going on here? Well, you know, it's like, I think it was uh, beneficial for them if <laughs> right. I got my sleep. Deal so. with a little less anger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, okay. Wow. Cool. So I wanted to ask you about that very thing. You know, you mentioned the tour and I would imagine a lifestyle in a band has got to be challenging for somebody who is a recovering addict and dealing with bipolar disorder. Um, I'm, I'm just envisioning and I could be wrong, but envisioning you playing gigs in bars and things um, around a lot of alcohol, maybe even around people doing drugs and and what's that like for you as a recovering addict and and a person deal you know living with bipolar disorder as well um you know like the the drugs thing i mean the drinking is because everybody because i'm really outspoken about it and because i've got the support of the band and and Molly's there with me and it's been uh that's been an okay thing um you know, we've had a couple guys in recovery in our band coming in and out, and they've had some struggles with it more than I have, just because I, I think because I'm upfront and I'm pretty vocal about my sobriety, it's easier for you know the bars and the, the you know the promoters and the other bands and even people who come to our shows if they kind of know our band, they know that I went through this kind of big struggle. Um, but the thing that is the hardest is, is the bipolar disorder. And, and, you know, I, I, for the last few years put on a pretty good face about it because it's like, you don't want to tell people that 
you know, like, you know, it's like, how's tour? And it's like, it's horrible and I hate it. And I, you know, I don't know how long I can do this. And so you don't want to, you don't want to have that conversation when a radio station is like, you know, how do you like touring? So, um, I think I've had kind of a reckoning in the last year where it's like, I, I have to have, I have to think about things differently than, than I did before where I can't, I can't be like a, I can't, I can't be a road warrior or I can't, um, I just have to put myself first and, and that can kind of suck in a lot of ways because a lot of times as a musician, you need to put your career first. Otherwise, you know, you get a very small chance to make a living at stuff like this. And, and I was making a living for a while, but I, I mean, I, I am making a living, but it, I, I definitely, after this last tour, uh, I had this meeting with the band and, and I was like, you know, I need, we need to like condense our tours to when it's like, I can make sure that I'm being my best about it. And I told my manager that like from now on, like I'll do, I'll work when I'm not on tour just so that when we're on tour, we can have a tour manager and, um, you know, more hotel rooms and, you know, just things where it's like somebody to take away the stress. Like if we got it, you know, we're right at that level where it makes a huge difference. If we save a hundred bucks a night, you know, that that's a big chunk of money for us. Right. You know, when you're, when you're right on the bubble where it's like, is it going to cost you $500 a day to tour or $600 a day? You know, if you, you know, if you give up that one hotel room, it'll cost you $400, you know? Right. Right. Um, and those are the little things where it's like, you get done at the end of tour, you got to pay everybody out. And, and I'm just, you know, even if I end up with more money, I'd rather end up, being sane and so i've scaled back a lot of the touring and uh i'm actually taking time off touring until we finish our next record uh which before i just toured you know for five years straight i was just right. like let's be on the road you know and well, it was well what i hear is you saying i am now at a place in my life where i'm prioritizing my mental health and, yeah and it sounds really healthy Right. You're you're reflecting on your three month tour and maybe that was too long. Maybe you need to make some modifications. Like you said, maybe you make sure you do have a single room so that you can crash earlier than everybody else if you need to um, and get some some extra sleep. Um, so, I, yeah, I think it sounds like you're making some really healthy decisions that will allow you to maintain this life as a musician and do your music and do your gigs and at the same time, prioritizing your mental health. I think it sounds fantastic. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a thing. I think it's just a, it's, it's a progression of, you know, maybe it took me seven years to get here, but I'm slow, but, uh, I think it's just a progression of, of getting sober and getting on medication and slowly turning my life where it's like, you, you don't, nobody's making you do things that, that aren't good for you, you know? Um, but a lot of times we convince ourselves that, that this is the thing we need to do, you know, like, it's like, I, I love writing music and I like playing shows, but you know, I don't, for a while there, I was just buying into this. Like I have to, 
I have to be out there and sacrificing myself to, you know, cause otherwise, and I'm going to regret it. And, you know, people are going to think that I didn't give it everything. And it's like, yeah, actually I like, I like staying home with my dog and I like, you know, I like waking up in the same place and having a routine and things that I learn about myself that I didn't know that I, it's like, I like routine, even though, and the doctor says I should have routine. It's like, who would have known? Right. So you touched a little bit. um, I hear you saying routine and you touched a little bit on some yoga, anything you else you do. And I know you have the medication, but anything else uh, to maintain your mental health? Yeah. You know, um, it sounds, these are the things that like, you know, 10 years ago, John would scoff at the way that I, I mean, regular exercise, um, obviously the medication, extra sleep, uh, straight up routine. And even the routine, like one of the things I do when I'm on tour is I bring my own coffee thing so that every morning I wake up and I, I have this coffee that I have every morning and I go through the process of making it. And it's just funny that it's like, it's that little, little things like that maintain some sort of regularity in my life. Right. Right. And, and makes you sound a little bit like a coffee snob. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, like I gotta have something, you know? So you were going to mention eating as well? Yeah, you gotta, that's the hardest thing, especially, you know, when you start to feel crappy or you, you know, you don't want to put in the effort to like eat healthy. It's eating healthy makes such a huge difference. Um, because it's not necessarily what makes you feel bad. Like it's not, it's not, it doesn't start like the, the lows, but if you don't feel like you're putting good stuff in your body and you don't feel good after a couple of days of like eating crap on the road, you're going to start to feel bad in other ways. And I, you know, your energy gets all out of whack. If you eat crappy food, uh, touring is terrible for that. And you know, like when I was touring, when I was doing a month at a time, I could usually maintain, you know, waking up and going for a jog and, and, uh, you know, catching a yoga class in random towns and eating healthy. But after, you know, trying to do that for a month on the road, suddenly things start to slip and, you know, then you're in the South and it's like, you got to stop at every barbecue place. And, right. uh, I mean, that's what always would get me as I'd take a turn through the South and it's like, ah, we've got to stop here and I got to eat this and I got to have fried chicken for lunch and barbecue for dinner. And yeah, then it's just, yeah. But you know, that's, it's a funny thing that now I look back and I'm like, yeah, I do yoga. I exercise. I, I, uh, eat healthy. I, I mean, all the things that, you know, indie rock John of 10 years ago would think was ridiculous. And it's like, yeah, well, uh, I'm happy now. Yeah, makes a huge difference. What uh, What about any uh, pieces of hope or um, advice for somebody who might be in a place right now listening, who is in you know the place you came from? You know, if they're out drinking, self medicating, what kind of words of wisdom would you provide them with? I the thing that I always tell people that um, I get a lot of people because I'm public about my story I'll, I'll get a lot of people that'll come up to me and 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 kind of share that it when they're in a rough spot 
um, and the thing that I always I always want to point out, and I don't know if people say it enough, um, is that once I got sober and once I got on medication, I didn't even understand what happiness was until I could find happiness on a regular basis by just being alive. Like just, just waking up and feeling good about the day was not something that I was able to find until, you know, it's like, there's a lot of reasons why these uh, uh, sober folks are all smiling and happy and encouraging and trying to get people to go to meetings with us because it's like, you're going to be happier. You're, you're just going to be happier um, getting on medication and, and finding footing where you can build a life where it's like, you're not going to be cursed anymore. And then, you know, like it took me maybe, it maybe took me nine months before I started to realize that I could wake up and go through a whole day and not even think about drugs. And that was mind blowing to me. But then t- today, like to look back, it's hard for me to even imagine how dark things were. And it's just, you know, once you're, once you start to build, uh, like I don't feel cursed anymore. And I, I think that, you know, the things that are, are, I, I know a lot of guys who have anxiety and they smoke pot because they think that that's, and you know, to each their own. But I know that a lot of the things that we think help us uh, are things that actually make our mental illness stuff worse. And, you know, eating shitty food because you don't want to bother, you know, and it's like something that's easy. And, you know, I like, fried chicken it's it's like it's gonna make you feel bad if you do it every day and nobody wants to hear like you should exercise and eat healthy as an answer but those are things that you build once you get stable on your feet once you get medication and once you get sober it's like uh that's way too much advice to give somebody (laughs) if they came up to me at a show but Um, that's my thing i could talk somebody's ear off about it hey so no those that's some really good advice and I mean, I, I think you hit on a lot of different pieces and, and I think that's what it takes, right? Um, several different it, pieces and it's kind of the synergy of it all. I, you know, I, I try to think about like when I was using and when I wasn't medicated, um, I didn't like somehow all the color in my world got sucked out slowly so that I didn't even notice it. So that when I was, I just felt like, no, I see the world and this is what it looks like. But when I like stepped back from it and went to treatment and I was out for, you know, three months or whatever, and suddenly like the color started to come back into the world and it was like, you know, things like walking my dog was actually made me happy when I couldn't even picture that as being something that would make somebody happy before. And that's, I mean, that's the thing that I try and get people to understand. It's like just everyday life is going to be happier. Um, which is hard to, you're able to enjoy a lot of those little things, right? The, it's the small things sometimes that are so, if you told the the drug addicts, John, that putting on pajamas was going to be awesome. (laughs) He would definitely be like, yeah, no, I I don't know what you're talking about. But it's true. It's like, man, putting on pajamas feels awesome when you're like doing well. 
That's fantastic. So I don't typically end shows this way, but we have something in common because I am in the Twin Cities. That's where I've grown up and that's where I still am. And I know you're out now. You're in California, right? Yeah. So you're out in California. So I was curious, two things before we leave. One, um, how can people find your music? Uh, that's a big one that I want you to be able to share with people. Like, you got a website, or yeah, how, how can they find out more about the Communist well, Daughter? Yeah, just Communist Daughter. We're on all the you know Spotify and iTunes and and all that, and we have our our website is just communistdaughter.com. Great, and and uh, yeah, Facebook, all that stuff. It, we're pretty easy to find if you Google us. There's okay. We're named we're named after a song from a band called Neutral Milk Hotel, so you might come up with that. And you'll probably be able to tell pretty quickly that that is not me. (laughs) Okay. All right, cool. Um, And then my last question, again, since uh, we both have the Twin Cities connection, where, just out of curiosity, your favorite place to play uh, in the Twin Cities, to play your music? Oh, man. That's tough. Favorite venue. That's tough. You know what's funny is that, like, I had a a real, like... uh, it's just honestly the the whole this sounds like a, a cop out but like the the twin cities audience makes anywhere great um we you know we bounced around to all these places and we had a for a brief period every time we played first ave the main stage we would have a terrible show and i'd always be like why why can't i have a good show at the best <laughs> club in town but now we've played there enough where it's like, oh, yeah, no, this is feels really good. I think uh, – so, I mean, it's hard to I, – I think my favorite club, though, is the 7th Street Entry, okay. which is the, the side stage. Yeah, but, connected to the first half. Yeah, but, you know, like when I was in a rock band, the Turf Club was, was – Yeah. Oh, gosh, I it's – you can't ask that, man. Yeah. I like, I like playing in people's club. living rooms now, too. That's a <laughs> – All right. Well, John, hey, uh, I want to thank you very much for being on The Depression Files. Thanks for sharing your story. I'm glad to hear how well you are currently doing. And, you know, I'll be thinking about you and really hoping that you stay sober. And next time you have a trip into the Twin Cities, uh, I'd love to grab a a coffee or something. I'm not going to invite you out for a beer. But, uh, <laughs> but grab a coffee fine. or something. It would be, a, it'd be a very enjoyable. So thank you again for your time. And uh, make sure you stay healthy. Thanks a lot, man. It's great to talk to you. Thank you for listening to The Depression Files. Please know that if you are currently suffering from depression and are experiencing thoughts of suicide, please reach out for help. In the United States, you can text to 741741 to connect with a trained crisis counselor. Or you can go to suicide.org for a list of international suicide hotlines. If you're a man who has experienced depression and would like to be interviewed for the show, please reach out to me on Twitter at AlLevin18. Thank you again for listening to The Depression Files.